Working remotely full-time can challenge us as humans because we are so hardwired for connection. Hi, I'm Roz Asheroff, and welcome to my virtual podcast, Optimizing Your Virtual Sales Call for Greater Impact. We know over the last few months, face-to-face meetings with customers have moved to the virtual boardroom. Consequently, it's become much more challenging to build rapport with customers, establish trust and have access to C-suite influencers. And to complicate matters, customers are often distracted for multiple reasons, whether it's the stress of back-to-back webcam meetings or kids invading their makeshift home offices. It appears, however, that the trend to remote sales calls is now becoming the norm. Companies are seeing the financial advantages of reduced travel and time saved. Did you know that Microsoft boasts their daily record of 2.7 billion meeting minutes in one day? That's a 200% increase from 900 million at the beginning of March of 2020. Now, while there's no true replacement for in-person collaboration, of course, the good news is that companies are now starting to see that we can effectively connect across distances in a way that no one ever thought was possible. And the better news is that there are proven strategic techniques to enhance rapport, impact, and selling in this virtual environment. By the way, regardless of your role, you know that we're all salespeople in our own way meaning that we have to sell our ideas, our products, and if the truth be known, we really have to sell our own value. To quote Marshall Goldsmith, what got you here won't get you there. To get us where we need to go for anyone who's required to sell, I am so excited to introduce Doug Draper, who specializes in training sales teams across Asia, Europe, and North America. And before I seek out his wisdom, Doug, I'd love for you to share a few things that our listeners would enjoy knowing about you. Sure, Ross. So happy to be with you today. Um, From my voice, you could probably tell I'm from California. I live in Spain now, but I've lived all over the world and uh, worked with technology companies, including Apple and SAP. Uh, You're right. I've I've got quite a bit of experience connecting with folks virtually, and that led to the development of what I think we're going to talk about today. Of course. And you built a training course called the Winning Virtual Sales Call. What prompted you to go in this direction? Yeah, it's so funny. I uh, way back in uh, February, if you can think of that, of t- 2020, I was looking at some data about the prevalence of virtual or remote sales calls versus face to face. And what I found out is about three quarters of all sales calls are actually remote. And this was before coronavirus. And of course, that hit in March. And then what was a common practice became something that was uh, an imperative. Everybody, because of the cancellation of travel, because because of uh, customer meetings being uh, canceled, we had to sell remotely. I'd been working with salespeople who had had difficulties in really making progress in their remote calls. So I wanted to put together something that I believe would help 
salespeople deal with this imperative now for virtual sales calls. I'm curious to know, Doug, what are your customers telling you about working with their customers in this remote world? What, what keeps them up at night? Well, I mean, the, the fact besides the coronavirus and some of the trends that you mentioned are, are probably going to be the new reality. The fact that we need to connect with our customers and colleagues remotely. The fact is we are in the, the worst economic crisis since the 1930s. So this means that our customers or our prospects really don't have time for anything that's not going directly to their bottom line. Something is going to help them survive today and grow tomorrow. So we need to very quickly be able to provide insights to those customers and give them ideas about how They can address their business issues, and we need to express it in financial terms. So how am I going to help you with your critical business issues? Before we go into that, because that's so essential, what do you see as the most important qualities of a salesperson today to be successful in the virtual environment? Is it any different from when we had the luxury of face-to-face meetings? Well, I think now, number one, very simply, is the ability to connect virtually with the buyer. If you can't make the connection, there's very little likelihood that you're going to be able to help the customer. Now, you talk about building rapport in the course of winning sales call. What What do you need to do to build rapport before you even meet with these people? Sure. And, you know, it's very different in a virtual or remote call versus a face-to-face call. And you've seen the data. A lot of people are familiar with the fact that it's really body language, facial expressions, postures that help you to build rapport with a customer in a face-to-face meeting. So what we need to do is figure out ways that we can connect, even if we're not able to see or see clearly the customer in a remote call. Doug, before we even get into the meeting itself, I know that you have some wonderful strategies where you build a rapport before the meeting takes place. For example, you send out an email alerting them to the fact that you would like them to be on the camera. How do you do that? Would you share? Because I've never heard of that before. I thought it was a great idea. Well, there, there are a few things and, and uh, they're probably selling basics, but the uh, they've been exacerbated by the, the current uh, financial or economic as well as coronavirus. But number one, we need to make sure that the customer sees a clear imperative. Why are they meeting? Uh, Chances are they have 10 or 11 other things that they could be doing. So we really need to make sure that the purpose of the virtual call is clear, understood, and bought off by the customer, number one. Number two, as you pointed out, a lot of folks are still not comfortable appearing on camera, on their their webcam. And there are some things we can do to make them more comfortable. 
In fact, it's, it really facilitates communication if both parties can appear and be able to see each other. So there are th some communications um, that, that help customers get more comfortable, not only with the technology, but also the idea of appearing on camera. And how do you do that? How do you get them to know that you'd like them to be on the camera? Well, the, um, there's, a, there's a lot of data that supports the fact that um, people communicate better when they can actually see each other. If I can see you smile uh, or frown, I'm, I'm going to get important cues from that. But I, I think, uh, by and large, people are moving to this new virtual world across all industries. So I, I think we can share with them the experiences of other customers. There's a lot of scientific data that suggests that we can get more done in collaborating when we can see each other. So uh, there's a number of things that we can do, uh, again, to get people more comfortable and never ever make them embarrassed about appearing on camera. It's interesting that you say that. I was uh, delivering a workshop uh, to individuals in Europe and I'm in, lo located in North America. What I heard was from a participant who was from Italy saying it's very hard for them in Italy to get their customers to put the camera on. So I like what you're saying, preparing them in advance that you would hope that they would want to be on a camera. This would be very helpful in the communication aspect. You know, one other thing about that, and I've dealt with a lot of um, a lot of uh, salespeople who have a similar situation to what you heard from your colleague in Italy. And with with one woman in particular, it took her several times appearing on camera herself. And the customer still wasn't comfortable with it. But over, over time, they became more and more comfortable. And what I would say is, even if you can't get your customer to appear on camera, there's something communicated when we appear. It's like we're becoming more honest, more, we're sharing more of ourselves if we can appear. And uh, I don't have any data to support it, but I really think it helps uh, bridge the gap in terms of communication. I agree with you. I, I tell my clients that even if the person on the call is not comfortable, you can still demonstrate warmth and approachability, can't you, with your facial expressions and your tone of voice. So I, I think you actually have an advantage, even if they aren't showing themselves, that if you showcase how comfortable you are, I've seen where people have actually come on a camera in the middle of my workshop because they felt safe. So it, it's interesting. Another thing that you, you have said to me that virtual calls take two to three times longer to plan. Could you explain what you mean by that? Well, I, I, it's funny. Um, of course, coronavirus hit um, right around mid-March, but I, I was working uh, with one group of salespeople who were planning a face-to-face -face meeting uh, before coronavirus hit. And of course, like many of us, they had to suddenly uh, shift gears and move to virtual. And what they found was it took from two to three times longer 
to plan the virtual call. Now the question is, why is that? Why does it take longer? And really it's because if you think about it, a, a virtual or a remote call tends to be more intangible. And that means we need to be even more deliberate in terms of the purpose of the call, who's going to be on the call, and how are we going to achieve our objectives, not only for ourselves, but also for the customer. So it just becomes much more important to, as I said, to be very deliberate in terms of how we plan each and every element of the call. And, and that's been pretty much borne out uh, from the experience of by now hundreds of salespeople I've worked with. Another thought I have, just to piggyback off of what you're saying, you've got now people in the meeting, you're, you're opening it up. What are some recommendations do you have to get everybody involved? Because there's always those individuals who are more passive and they're not necessarily forthcoming initially at the beginning of the meeting. What's your secret sauce for getting them involved? Wow. And, and we've all been there, right? It's, you, have people, you have people who say nothing. You have other people who dominate the call and they can't, you can't get them to stop talking. So it's, it, um, it's, it's really interesting. We can actually, I will dare say that we can actually do some things in the virtual sales call that we cannot do in a face-to-face -face call. Some people are not comfortable, Roz, in speaking up, as we all know. Some people are more comfortable writing or communicating uh, through text. Well, in, in Zoom or other platforms, we can invite people to share, to participate using the chat feature. We can also get other people to respond to a, a polling question. Perhaps at the beginning of a meeting, we ask a provocative polling question. This gets everybody involved. And that's one of the key things about how we're wired is if we're not doing anything, if we're sitting passively and we're one of several people on a call, the chances are we're, our attention is going to stray. So with the virtual call, with tools like Zoom, we can get them to write something on a whiteboard, respond in chat. They can speak up if they want, or they can answer a question. It's important every two or three minutes that we engage each person, and sometimes we need to do it in different ways. I love what you're saying. It's so critical in, in meetings. One of the things that I've learned over the years as a result of my own virtual training classes is that if you get them involved in some easy dialogue, like rapport, small talk, like what have you learned during these last couple of months, uh, people are more apt to participate in the meeting once they've had a chance to voice their thoughts in, in a very simple question. Does that resonate with you at all? Oh, absolutely. And I, I think you're, Raj, you're a master at this. And, and people who have done any kind of virtual training, one of the things we learn is we need to keep people involved. We need to ask them questions. We need to call them by name. We use, need to use the technology, not in some technological way, but in a way to 
create more human connections with people. You, you mentioned using people's names. Doug, I can't tell you how important that is because it validates the individual. And, and when people hear their name, it's one of those wonderful sounds. And yet we don't, with intention, use people's names enough. So I really, really like what you're saying. One of the things I've heard you mention is something about creating constructive tension. And I'm not really sure what that means, but it sounds very provocative. Would you share a little bit more in your mind what, what that says? Sure. And, and uh, you know, as I mentioned before, we have a pretty deep economic recession that's happening right now. And people have 10 to 12 other things that they're working on. They have emergencies. They have problems that even personally as well as professionally they're trying to deal with. In order to take their mind off of those things and help them uh, place their attention on a business problem that we believe it's important for them to address, we need to share some kind of insight that's going to help them get a new perspective on their business, on a challenge. And hopefully it's a challenge that we can address. So using constructive tension, um, causing a little bit of uneasiness, maybe telling them something they weren't aware of, but then very quickly being able to, you know, to tell them that there is a solution, there is a um, something that we can do together in order to address the business challenge. I think it's really important to do. Otherwise, folks are simply not going to have enough time to devote to whatever it is you're talking about. Is it presumptive to think that, to say that out loud? Is that being a little bit too aggressive? Would you have had to know this beforehand? How do you find out what their real issues are? Right. Well, I mean, you know, it really depends. If we're prospecting, if we're speaking with someone with whom we've never dealt, then it's a very different uh, dialogue. It's not about building rapport, perhaps. It's really about very quickly sharing an insight, building that constructive tension so that the prospect is prompted to set up a meeting with you. Now, it's very different for an installed base or an existing customer. With them, we better have a pretty good idea based on our research and our previous dialogues with the customer, what their challenges are. So it's a, it's a very different dialogue that we have with existing customers who we should know and, and prospects for whom we have to build a, a value hypothesis. That makes so much sense. I forgot to ask you an important question, and I believe a lot of people could relate to this question. I know we talked about building rapport and setting the stage, making people comfortable, trying to bring out those passive listeners. How do you move from small talk? Because some cultures really enjoy the dialogue. How do you move from small talk to business talk without looking like you're motivated to get the sale? Oh, sure. And, and we need to, you know, as we said before, we need to have that personal connection, that rapport, or most people are not going to be willing to 
move over to the professional aspect. I, I would say that on the professional, so first of all, starting off building rapport as we can in terms of, you mentioned using the name or, or, or uh, relating to some experience that the customer has had based on your knowledge of that customer. But then, you know, frankly, especially during these times, being able to communicate clearly our intent with the customer. We're here to help the customer during these extraordinary times. And here's what the purpose of our call is today. And it really goes to the heart of uh, your ability as a customer to thrive and even survive in this environment. So I, I think, you know, if we put out there the fact that we want to help and we have some ideas based on our experience with similar kinds of customers, we have ideas about how we can help. So I think that's perhaps the best way to, to bridge from the personal to the professional. Just to add an, another question to your content, when we go into a meeting and if we don't know the customer, is it appropriate to, after we build some rapport, to give them a background about ourselves? Do we give them a lot of detail about our work history, our expertise? What's your recommendation without coming across as if you're being very pompous or making yourself the hero in the story? Roz, what a great question. How do we strike a balance between seeming to brag or talk too much about ourselves versus focusing on the customer? And what I would say is I, you know, I don't have an easy answer. And of course, it can be culturally dependent. But what I would say is that we're certainly justified in talking about ourselves and our own experiences when it relates directly to addressing the challenges that the customer is facing. So the ability to relate stories or anecdotes about how you've been able to tackle a problem that a customer, and hopefully a customer similar to the one with whom you're speaking, is having, and how your expertise has been brought to bear to, again, help that customer. So I think then it can be very appropriate, and the customer will want to know how your experience is relevant to their challenge. You know, the, the problem that many of us have is the customer is the expert on their business. So how do we have the audacity to tell them about their business? And what I would say, it's not about that. It's about how we can share perhaps a, our experience and how it's addressed maybe a small slice of what the customer is engaged in, but something that could have a very real impact on that customer's business. So for me, I, I, I help customers design sales processes. And if they're having a problem with that, I think my experience in helping many companies design sales processes is something that would be relevant for them if they're having a problem in that area. 
I like that because you're validating it. You're validating the value that you could bring to your customer. I wanted to make a comment, however, a lot of times I see that salespeople bring in specialists or engineers, whatever, to, to be able to add additional insights. I believe it's important to introduce the specialists for their credentials. First, to show that they're worthy of being on the call, but also to allow the customer to see that they're so important we're bringing in specialists to make sure that there's even more value to what our organization could offer. Wow. What a, what a great point. I, you know, I was in my career earlier, I was always told I had to be a trusted advisor for my customer. And the fact is oftentimes we ourselves may not have the technical or business expertise, but if like you say, Roz, we can bring in specialists who do have that expertise, then we're adding value and we're demonstrating, like you said, to the customer that they're worth us marshalling our greatest resources. So I, I really like your idea. Which, by the way, Doug, is why I have you on this call. <laughs> I am no fool. I know where I have expertise and I know where I don't. Let me move into another area that's so, so important is really knowing the right type of questions to ask your customer. Any thoughts, tips on what what are the most inspiring questions? Well, first of all, just to talk about questions in the, the context of the virtual sales call, they are probably the secret weapon in terms of winning what I call the war for attention. And you've heard me talk about this, Roz, but customers will do things during a virtual meeting they would never dream of doing in a face-to-face call. They'll, they'll literally get up and leave the room. They'll answer texts. They'll take care of emergencies all while you're trying to communicate a point. So the first thing that questions can help us do in the virtual call is to make sure we're tracking with the customer, that they're paying attention. So every two or three minutes, we better ask a question just to make sure we're both on the same page. But to your your point earlier about what kinds of questions to ask, I really think it depends on where we are in the customer buying cycle. At the very beginning, during prospecting, we're asking very different kinds of questions to gather basic information from the customer. As we proceed, through the, the customer life cycle, we're asking other kinds of questions in terms of what are the criteria that they're using to select a solution? What other competitors are they looking at, etc.? So it really depends, Roz, on where you are in the customer buying cycle. What I really like what you just said is that you start off with what? I believe that if you ask a yes or no question, you're not going to learn a lot. But when you ask what, it gets people to really think about how am I going to answer the question? 
And one of the strategies I use just in my workshops to engage people is I don't say, do you have a question? If I, especially if I'm reading bad facial expressions or confused facial expressions, I, I will stop and say, what are your questions? So it's not specific about the sale or where they are in the process, but it's also another way of engaging people. Does, does that help? Does that make sense in your process? Oh, absolutely. And I, I love the open-ended nature of, of your, uh, your question. And, and I also like, I like the fact that it, it treats the audience or the customer as an equal. We're having a, a dialogue, a strategic dialogue, and they have important ideas to share and we need to listen to those and then reflect and then perhaps ask more probing questions so we can help together perhaps to gain insights about the customer's business. Fantastic, fantastic advice. Last section here I have to ask a question on is listening. And I know that listening today could be very distracting especially when you're in your homemade uh, office hiding away from your kids in the house <laughs> when there's lots of distraction. How do you become a better listener in a virtual call to your customer? Is there any tips that you could share? <laughs> yeah, I, I don't have the, the magic bullet, but I, I would say, I mean, you're so right. Focus is even more important is so important in the virtual call. And sometimes we have to employ little tricks to make sure we're listening actively. So in, in my course, I, I cover some active listening techniques like verbal nods, uh-huh, or playing back. Uh, you mean to tell me, Roz, that you're interested in hearing about how we could be better listeners. So I'm playing back what you said or, or summarizing. And, and that, at first, it, it might seem mechanical, but if we use these little active listening techniques, um, first of all, we demonstrate that we're paying attention. And number Wonderful. two, yeah, and number two, we, we check for accuracy because, uh, you know, a lot of times things get mistranslated and maybe we don't have it um, correctly. So I, I think that little techniques uh, for active listening um, can help us to, to listen and to hear not only what customers say, but also how they say it. What's the inflection? Are they excited? Are they interested or Maybe do they have fear or dread in terms of what they're talking about? It's so important in the virtual call. Especially if it's remote and you can't see them. Oh, yeah. I, I believe that we underestimate the power of listening to the intonation mm. to assess the state of mind of the customer, which is really, really important. Mm. Well, you've given us such wonderful ideas. And I, I just wanted to ask about echoing. Is that the same as what you've just explained, repeating back? Oh, absolutely. And and again, at first, it, it may seem forced or mechanical, but it's something that if we can echo or paraphrase, it's something again that demonstrates we're we're really here, we're present, 
We're listening to the customer and we may not have heard accurately. And it's something, it's just so important. We need to make sure that we're getting the uh, the right story. So yes, that, that's the same. Okay, so now we're at the finale. The meeting is coming to a close and you're at the altar, as I sometimes say, and you want the customer to say, I do, Doug, to continuing another dialogue with you or to actually make a commitment to your product or service. What happens at this point? point to marry your relationship and set the stage for the potential sale. How do you advance this call to be more meaningful? It's it's really a good point, Roz, that we are the purpose of a, a sales call. Any sales call is to advance the opportunity. So I, I would say there really are three ideas. Number one, uh, to demonstrate that we've heard the customer's ideas and concerns and that we can feed those back. We can summarize at the end of the meeting, number one. Number two, um, you know, we're always selling. We need to make sure that we reiterate how what we're providing will directly impact the customer's bottom line results. And then finally, um, and probably most importantly, what is the commitment by the customer as well as ourselves to advance that opportunity? What are they putting forth? What are they committing to in terms of time, money, other people getting involved? Uh, that's going to help make sure that we move forward uh, in addressing their problem and advancing the opportunity. I would say those three things are are critical to do um, before we say goodbye. Doug, I can't thank you enough for your wisdom. I'm sad to say that our podcast needs to end, but I will say that you've shared years and years of expertise. This isn't just something that you're making up on the fly. The lessons we've learned here today, Doug, they're going to be in the business schools for decades. And even if we go back to some kind of normalcy, your perspectives are timeless. I have to thank you so much for contributing to this, the success of this uh, virtual podcast. And just as a, you know, my thoughts on this, there's so much to think about. Some of this feels very common sense, but when you're in the moment, it could feel very awkward. The idea I believe is to trust that as long as you come from a good place in your heart to make a difference to your customer, you're always gonna be successful. Doug, I especially like your authenticity. You have such a gentle way of sharing your ideas and strategies. I'm looking forward to having you back in the future, and I wish you continued success in making such a difference to so many people in the sales force. Well, thank you. Thank you, Roz. I, I think I've told you, I think you're a terrific practitioner in this whole area. So it's always it's always delightful to be with you, Roz. And thank you so much for, uh, for a terrific conversation. All my information is available at asheroff.com, Instagram, also on LinkedIn. Listeners can email me at contactus at asheroff.com. If you're interested in customized virtual training and executive presence, communication leadership, 
remote team building, please reach out to Kathy with a C at Kathy at Asheroff.com, who will be absolutely delighted to set up a call. Until next time, I'm Roz Asheroff. Thank you so much for listening and stay safe.